Hear the word of God from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29, and chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version and can be found on page 820 in the Pew Bible. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his, his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them any more, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It would be a fair question to ask why the story of the Transfiguration is even in our Bible at all. Because it seems like such a different story than the others that we read about Jesus in the Gospels. After all, this is not a story about Jesus the preacher, because there is no crowd on the Mount of Transfiguration, just Jesus and Peter, James, and John. This is not a story about Jesus the teacher, because after all, Jesus doesn't even say a single word in this story. And this is not a story of Jesus the healer. In fact, Jesus does very little in this story except just stands there while he is transfigured into this bright, dazzling white. It would be too easy to overlook this story except for the fact that it is the single most pivotal story in the entire life and ministry of Jesus aside from the resurrection itself. It is this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration that defines the before and the after of the Gospels. It is this moment that distinguishes all that the disciples have learned about Jesus up until that moment as merely a preacher and teacher and healer and distinguishes it from everything that would soon follow a kind of image of Jesus that they had never seen before, a Jesus that would be much more nuanced and complicated, and a Jesus that would be harder to follow. It is in this moment that we are confronted with the single most important question that any person needs to answer, 
A question that Jesus asked in Mark 8, and which Peter answered with boldness and with clarity. The question for us is this, who do you say Jesus is? And the way you answer that question will be the single greatest determining factor on whether you live in the before picture of Jesus or whether you're able to see the after image of Jesus. In other words, the most important thing here is the way you see Jesus. I want to do a bit of an experiment with you this morning. As you were coming in, hopefully the ushers handed you a picture. I'd like for you to take that picture out now. For those of you watching online, uh, the image will also appear on the screen. Now, on the, on the surface, it appears to be just a fairly odd picture of a woman. The colors are all off, and all you see is the negative, the black and the white, except for a few colored dots in the middle of of her nose, a red, a green, and a blue. What I'd like for you to do for the next 30 seconds is simply to focus on those dots on her nose. Don't let your eyes wander. Just stay right there among those dots. You might choose to focus on a different dot at a time, go from red to green to blue, but just stay right there in the middle for the next 30 seconds. Now, for those of you watching on the screen, you can do the same thing at home. Now, in a moment... For those of you here in the sanctuary, in a minute I'm going to ask you in a bit to turn the paper over. Now, not yet. And for those of you watching on the screens, in a moment we'll change the slide to a completely blank white side. And when I say go, you're going to flip that paper over. You're going to pick a fixed point in the middle of the paper and just look at it while blinking your eyes rapidly. And then you'll see what happens next. When I say go, you'll turn the paper over. And as you're blinking your eyes, my hunch is that you'll see a different image. Her white hair will turn black. Her gray skin will turn a light shade of brown. And you might even recognize who this is a picture of. Let me just enjoy the fact that for a moment I'm preaching to a crowd where no one is looking at me. This is kind of odd. All right, here we go. Turn the paper over. Pick a point in the middle and blink your eyes. Do you see a different image? Black hair, light brown skin. You might even, you might even see it. Now, you could take this home and do it in a brighter room if you're not able to do it now. But for some of you, nod your head if you're able to see a bit of a different... Okay, many of you are nodding your head. Maybe you can even recognize that this is a picture of Beyonce. Now, this sermon is not about Beyonce. In fact, I would hasten to guess that this may be the first time the name Beyonce has ever been uttered from this pulpit. There you go. This sermon, instead, is about our brains. It's about how our brains are accustomed to seeing things in a certain way, and we become so wired to view reality with a before kind of way, that we don't even realize that there's a possibility of an even deeper, more complicated, more nuanced version of this picture. And we don't even realize it until something happens, until something breaks into our reality, something no less than a field 
of bright, dazzling white. And that forces us to shift the way we see that picture and see the world and see that it's calling us to change. I uh, have a friend who was a professor of biology and chemistry up in Iowa, and he gave me the technical name for this little experiment that we just did. It's called post-visual retinal afterimage. Now, that's not a name you need to remember, but basically the idea is that when you stare at an object long enough, just like the way you and I stared at this negative, the image becomes burnt into your retina becomes embedded into your brain. And the longer you stare at it, the longer your brain adapts to this version of the picture. But what we don't realize is that deep within the the neural networks of our eyes and our brain, there is a war going on. That those rods and those cones that are part of our eye that we use to see colors begin working overtime to compensate this black and white image with colors infusing our brain with the possibility that there is something deeper in this picture than what we are able to recognize. And then suddenly, when you turn the paper over and introduce to your brain the field of white, those rods and cones that have been working to think about the possibility of color unleash in your brain all of the nuances of color and texture It is there in that after image of reality. All it takes for those rods and those cones to reveal color is to see a field of blazing white, for you to turn the page over and allow your brain to be rewired, to see reality like you've never seen it before. And that's why the transfiguration story matters. Because in the transfiguration, God flips the page of the gospel story. See, up until the transfiguration, the disciples had thought they were seeing the image of Jesus that was plain to see. Simply a preacher, just a teacher, merely a healer. They thought that they knew exactly who Jesus was. But little did they know that there was much more to that Jesus than met their eye. And little did they know what Jesus would be calling them to do. The transfiguration story is a pivotal moment in the Gospels because it is here that God is flipping the page over, revealing through a Jesus who is of dazzling white that there is more to following Jesus than you thought. That it would not be about rising to the top If you want to follow Jesus, it is not going upward. It is about descending into surrender of yourself. It would reveal to them that it was not about riding a wave of popularity, that following Jesus would not mean getting more acclaim or fame or wealth. They would see that following Jesus is all about going to a cross. They would discover that it's not about receiving blessings and all sorts of stuff from Jesus. Instead, it would be about calling Jesus Lord. From that moment on, from the transfiguration mountain to the very end of the story, every time Jesus would take a step forward, he would be marching closer and closer to Jerusalem, closer to Palm Sunday and Holy Week, closer to his arrest and his persecution, his trial 
and closer to the cross. And it is that same journey that Jesus is calling you to take right now. The question for all of us to answer this morning is this. Which picture of Christianity do you choose to see? The before picture or the after picture? The before picture, which is just plain, simple, black and white, comfortable, easy, relaxed, or the after picture, which is fuller, complete, more complicated, and ultimately more costly. If the before picture of your faith is about simply being a a good churchgoer and coming to worship 1.2 times a month, then the after picture of your faith journey is about allowing Jesus to shape every aspect of your life, not just for an hour on Sunday, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day. If the before picture of your faith is simply about being a good church member and calling yourself a Christian, then the after picture of Jesus is about allowing Jesus to inform every aspect of your being, every single one, from the way you parent to the way you work to the way you love to the way you laugh and play, from the way you think to the way you vote to the way you advocate for change to the things that you say and the thoughts that you think and the things that you do, especially those things that you do when no one else is watching. That's the after picture. If the before picture of your faith journey is about simply becoming acquainted with Jesus, then the after picture of Jesus is about calling Him your Lord. So which picture of discipleship will you choose to follow? That is the most important question because the latter version is riskier, it's costlier, it's tougher, but the reward is much greater, so much more fulfilling. It is much more colorful and nuanced and beautiful and rich. And that's the journey that God calls you to take. And that is why these next six weeks are so important. That's why it's so important about the Lenten season. During this upcoming Lent, we are going to take a journey together called Embracing the Uncertain. We will walk straight into those parts of our lives that are unsteady, that are ambiguous, that are conflicted, that are broken. Every single tenuous part of our existence, we will walk straight into those parts each and every Sunday. It'll be like we're seeing the world and confronting all of it for its massive, depressing, before qualities. But each Sunday, we will learn what it means to flip the page And discover what it means to make Jesus Lord and learn to trust in a God who calls us to embrace those uncertainties and experience transformation. In fact, I'll give you a quick sweeping overview of the themes for these next six Sundays. Next Sunday, for Lent number one, we will learn how embracing the uncertainty of doubt and disbelief can lead to conviction and trust. In week two, we will learn how embracing the uncertainty of forgiveness, especially forgiving those people that we have a hard time forgiving, can lead us to new healing, 
both in our relationships and in our lives. In week three, we will learn how embracing the uncertainty of worry and anxiety, and who all, who all among us doesn't deal with worry and anxiety, will lead to hope and new possibility. We will learn in week four how embracing the uncertainty of our own mortality and the finiteness of our own lives can lead to a promise of new life. In week five, we will learn how embracing the uncertainty of surrendering to God can lead to freedom. And then on week six, Palm Sunday, at the start of Holy Week, we will learn how Jesus himself Learn to embrace the uncertainty of his own obedience to God in the Garden of Gethsemane and how we can follow him to a way that leads to the cross and ultimately to the transformation of the resurrection on Easter. So there's your overview of the next six weeks. And each Sunday you will figuratively be asked to turn the page in your life over. God is calling you to flip the way you see the world and see yourselves and see Jesus for who he really is and who he can be in your life. Your Messiah, your Deliverer, your Lord. And again, if you haven't signed up yet for a small group to read my weekly study book called Embracing the Uncertain, it is not yet too late to do so. The response to this small group has been very strong, and it's still not too late to sign up for one. It will be the best way for you to take this Lenten journey together with a group of people who are just like you with the same uncertainties in your life as you have. And once again, if you haven't picked up a copy of the book, uh, I understand they are sold out in the bookstore, but uh, you can let us know that you want one. I do feel kind of sheepish that at the start of the morning I grabbed these two out of the coffee shop, so these may be the last two on this campus. Come see me if you'd like to buy them from me. I promise not to mark them up too much for you. And in addition to the weekly study guide, there is this 40-day devotional that the publishing house has asked me to write. It's actually one of my favorite things I've ever written. Just three pages on a different story for 40 days that take place after the transfiguration and before Easter morning. So that by the time you're finished with this devotional, you will have read just about all of the entire second half of each of the four Gospels. It'll be a great way for you to learn the journey that Jesus took and the journey that God is calling you to take as we march toward Easter. If you don't want to pick up the book, then each of the stories, each of the Scripture references that are in this book are listed in your daily Scripture reading bookmark, which is available for free in the information racks in the narthex and around the campus, and you can join us as well. And of course, the obvious way for us to join together is every Sunday morning. We'll be tackling each of these themes each Sunday as part of our worship, and we invite you to join us in person, or if you can't be here, join us online, right there from the convenience of your own home. The transfiguration of Jesus is the pivotal moment in the entire gospel, and it is the pivotal decision that you are called to make right now. It is the choice between a life of discipleship that is easy and black and white or a more costly path that will lead you to risk, that will lead you to a path of doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly before God. 
And it is a journey that will lead to nothing less than the entire redemption of this whole broken world and lead to redemption for your own soul. And God is inviting you and me to take that journey, to see the world for what it can be rather than for what it appears to be, to see the world for all of its complexity and its beauty and its richness and its redemption rather than all of its brokenness, to see the world in a way that can be reborn, a rebirth that can only happen through death, a color that can only be brought through the dazzling white grace of God. Because then and only then can we see the possibilities of new life. This is our Lenten journey. Join us. Let us pray together. Oh God, we hear the words once again that you spoke to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is your Son, Jesus, whom you love. Listen to him. So open our ears, open our eyes to see and hear a Jesus that we are often too reluctant to notice. A Jesus who is not here simply to bless us, but a Jesus who calls us into the risky work of following you. And so as we descend from this mountaintop into the valley of the weeks that lie ahead, help us, O Lord, to fix our eyes on you, to trust in the possibility of a world that can be redeemed into full color through your grace and through our participation in it. As we journey through each of these uncertainties over the six weeks ahead, teach us to trust you. Teach us to not lose our focus on you, to follow you even to the cross, where through our own death we can experience new life. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our preacher, our teacher, our healer, and our Lord, in whose name we pray. And let all God's people say, Amen.